Good afternoon. This is Todd J. Hollis from Todd J. Hollis Law. We're here at Civil Action. We got a great new show today. We've got one of the top experts in use of force. He's going to talk to us about his thoughts on the Breonna Taylor matter, as well as the uh, Antoine Rose matter. Um, maybe some other interesting things that, that maybe we never asked him before. So um, I've got a great guest here today, uh, Kevin Mosley. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, Todd. Nice to be here. Hey man, I want to, I want to start by saying thank you so, so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us today. I know you've got plenty of things to do and I, I'm so appreciative, man. Thank you. Let me, let me, let me ask you about your background. Uh, I, I did, I did some, some quick research. I know that you're a former Pennsylvania state police officer. Is that correct? True. I'm a retired Pennsylvania state trooper, 20 years, uh, use of force firearms instructor peer contact and uh, crash reconstruction. What, what does peer contact mean? So within the department, and, and there was New York Police Department that started this first, most police officers don't like to talk about the problems that they're having on the job with respect to the things that they see. Um, and, and within the New York City Police Department, they were having a number, a rash of suicides, and they realized that police officers keep things in. They don't talk to anybody about the problems that they have. So in order mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. combat that, the department, is, uh, New NYPD came up with peer contact where they train officers to actually uh, do reflective listening <clears throat> to hear the problems that their fellow troopers have. But then they give them a set of resources, professionals that they can send them to, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, okay. marriage counseling, those types of things, so that police officers can, can have someone to talk to. Um, as opposed to just talking to police officers who aren't really trained to deal with the intricacies of those, those issues. You need professionals and mental health issues to deal right. with that. All right. Well, you know, I appreciate your perspective on that. I want to get into the, the, the meat and potatoes of this conversation and we, we've got limited measures of time. So I want, I want our viewers to kind of, you know, get an opportunity to, to hear your perspective on use of force. So do me a favor. Tell me what use of force is and how qualified immunity ties into that. So within policing, uh, once you get when you go to the academy, you're trained that there is a use of force continuum. So you you when you interact with somebody, just your mere presence is a is a use of consider use of force. You have verbal, you have physical, you have a number of different things that you can use besides going straight to your gun. You should never, unless you're faced with a serious bodily injury or uh, death, lethal force, you shouldn't be going to your gun. That should be your, that should be your last resort. Otherwise, it should, you've got an ASP baton, the expandable batons, you've got pepper spray, you've got uh, your, your taser. So, and you've got your hands. Mm -hmm. There's a number of things, and you can de-escalate. There's a number of things you can use. And this is what, uh, when we talk about use of force, they're trained in a continuum 
They should have an understanding. They have an understanding of how that works before you leave whatever academy you went through. So those are the tools you should be using. Okay. So how does qualified immunity play into um, when a police officer, you know, uses some measure of force in dealing with a third party? So everyone has a well, every department should have a set of standards and policies, guidelines that their officers should have read, they should have been made aware of, they should understand. And where qualified immunity comes in is, is the, the Supreme Court literally gives police officers almost carte blanche as long as you're not um, going against those standards that you know to be in effect. So if you, in, in all good faith, are trying to, attempting to do the right thing with respect to the force that the amount of force that you're using uh, and, and something goes awry, th- that's where qualified immunity comes into play. But it's, it's gone too far in terms of, you know, all a police officer has to say is I, I fear for my life. Now, if a person is unarmed, how, you know, and they're running away from you, how are you fear, fearing for your life? That doesn't make any sense. But that's mm-hmm. all they have to say in the court of law to, to, to qualify for qualified immunity. So, you know, in, in the cases that that I have tried um, where use of force, you know, was used as a defense, um, the courts have basically said that, you know, police officers, when confronted with certain situations, should not be held criminally liable unless or excuse me, civilly liable or criminally liable, I guess, unless um, this was a situation that they um, should have been aware of. In other words, you know, they they knew based upon the existing case law at that time that this particular action violated a person's civil rights. So only in those instances would they not be granted qualified immunity. Does that does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that the state police was good at every year we had uh, we went over the civil law, the civil law and the criminal case law that was new every year so that officers were aware of what the latest court rulings, whether it was the state Supreme Court or the Supreme Court, what those rulings were. Now, whether or not local mm-hmm. police departments did that on a regular basis, I, I'm not, I don't know, but I know for the state police, we did that yearly. Once a year, you had to go, that was mandatory training for us. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because that's what we do here at Civil Action. I'm going to ask you some real tough questions, all right? Okay. I feel you can answer them, all right? I, I want to know, does the blue line exist? Oh, no doubt. There, there is no doubt it exists. And, and so when you look at policing and who, who are police officers, take state police. Uh, 95% okay. are white men uh, and 96% are, are male. So that means only 6% are women and 5, 5% are minorities in a state where we make up, uh, what, 11, 12% of the population? Um, Mm-hmm. So when you look at that and then you start to look at, okay, where are the attitudes of, the, of those people who are the police officers with respect to white men in policing across the country, 92% right. of white men who are police officers believe that this country has done everything that it should have done that it needed to do to re- get rid of inequality for, ev- for everybody in this country, particularly for black people. Whereas you have black officers, black officers look at that and say, no, that's like most black officers 
don't think that that is the case. So right there, you have a schism and part of it. And you look at that and you have to understand that that's, that's called denial. And that's part of the problem that immediately when you look at policing, you're looking at a a culture of denial when it comes to dealing with uh, African-Americans. So, so you've got police officer a who's making an arrest police officer B and C, um, they're watching the arrest and they see police officer A doing things that they know violate the third party's civil rights, but they don't say anything. They don't mention it in the report. They don't tell a supervisor. Um, as, as a matter of fact, um, you know, the third party is saying, Hey man, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this. You know, they know that police officer A is supposed to be doing those things, but yet they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your position on that? Have you, have you ever seen that take place? Um, and, and how do we stop it? So I have, uh, so let, I'll give you an example of what happened to me when I was in a DEA office in downtown Pittsburgh in, in terms of the culture. I had, I had stopped a, a guy on Pennsylvania Turnpike for speeding, um, found it, come to find out that he was wanted by the DEA. Testify in federal court, go to the DEA office. Lead DEA agent says to me, and this we're talking back in late, early 90s, late 80s. Lead, okay. De, lead DEA agent says to me, we're looking for young black guys driving really nice cars. And I'm like, wait, what? That's Those are the people that they were literally wanted to target. And I realized right then and there, I needed to change how I did things. And, and I did in terms of implementing the drug interdiction training that I had gone through DEA with to, to, so that I did not profile people. With respect okay. to some of the things that I've seen besides, besides that, um, you know, department, again, department has rules and regulations where you have to be aware that when you walk into court, are you going to be tested lying or are you going to testify to what you actually saw? And with myself as being a crash reconstructionist, I know that once I got on the scene, I was responsible for everything. And I knew that a year later, I'd probably end up in deposition and I'm in a room full of lawyers and I don't know who's on my side, who's not on my side. And I I just have to testify to the best of my ability. But while I'm there, do everything possible to make sure that justice is served. That doesn't always happen. People make mistakes and people try to cover up, cover their tracks and cover up their mistakes. And when you get in court, I mean, you get in front of a good lawyer, as you know, uh, they can tear your testimony apart if they, if they find out that something does not make sense. And, but, but you've got, I mean, but I understand that. And, and everything that you say is to be expected, you know, when, you know, when you're a police officer and you come in and you, you, you know, you, you pledge to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, you know, you, you take that solemn swear. So you should tell the mm-hmm. truth, right? But what happens when, when you as a police officer see, you know, another police officer beating up, you know, civilian, civilian guy? Um, and, you know, you guys are friends. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily want to tell on your friend. I mean, what, what I, I mean, I'm not saying you in particular, but I'm saying, you know, I know that there are other situations where other police officers have been in that situation. Um, why is it that those police officers don't do what they know they should do? So within the culture of policing, within policing itself, part of the problem is that police officers get lackadaisical. It's just, it's just like any other job. Policing is boring. People want you to see it's like think it's like on TV. It's not. It, for the most part, it is boring. The the situations that can lead to tragedy are few and far between. 
what happens is police officers don't practice what they are taught so that when they're in those situ on a regular basis, so that when they're in those situations, they know what to do. And when that happens, far too often people resort to um, they escalate force far too rapidly and or the, the force that they use is inappropriate for the situation they find themselves in. And or after the fact force has been used, they don't want to render aid and assistance. They don't want to call an ambulance. So if an ambulance is there, they, they hold them back. Um, we saw that with George Floyd. So and I've seen that where as for my in my own case, when I saw it, I was like, hey, I saw a guy get pepper, a guy got pepper sprayed. I get there. The uh, trooper did said, you know, I really don't want to give this guy any any first aid. He doesn't deserve it. The trooper was mad. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But what we have to, by, by rules, our rules and regulations state, you have to give this guy first aid. You have to at least rinse off his face. Once I explained that to him, because I already said, this guy files a complaint, this is what you need to do, cover yourself, do the right thing. And he did. He did the right thing. But mm-hmm. if you don't have people there stating that, okay, I get that you're mad, I get that you're angry, or, oh, wait, this is not the right thing to do, then it gets out of control. And then you have this mad scramble like we like what we saw in Breonna Taylor, that, that was ridiculous, you know, that with mm-hmm. she didn't have, how, how do you file an incident report in the state that this woman who got shot six times had no injuries? That's insane. I, you know, more heads should be, heads should be rolling in that department. I mean, they lost, the police chief is gone um, and the interim police chief is now going to be gone, but it's the same, he's going to retire. But how do you get to a point where within your department, the culture is that we're just going to cover our butts, no matter what. Um, and that that's mm-hmm. where qualified immunity, you know, Colorado got rid of it and said no more. But, you know, just a couple of days ago, we see in, in Aurora, Ohio, in Aurora, Colorado again, there was a black woman who was hogtied and, and taken on a 20-minute ride upside down in the back of a police cruiser. You know, this is the same police department that, uh, that murdered um, the young man that was a violinist, the young black man that was a violinist, just happened to be walking down the road with a mask on because he had a blood condition where he was constantly cold. And they just decided that that looked, someone decided that looked suspicious. What? He's walking down the road carrying what he had from the store. How is that suspicious simply because he had a mask on? These are the, mm-hmm. these are the things where police officers really need to consider. Uh, they need to understand the difference between the use the law and w- when it's applicable and when it's not. And far too often people can think that just because I have this, this badge, I can do whatever I want. And it's like, no, one of the things we need to be doing is literally every day, you know, with insurance companies can, can have some responsibility in this insurance companies need to say to police departments, look, you need to every day have some type of go over at least one case case law where you talk about, this is what happened in this situation. This is what's expected of you in this situation, or this is where the police went wrong in this situation. Um, you know, you look at what happens in these protests, and I think a lot of people need to understand that a lot of the responses that we've seen were 93% of the protests have been peaceful. It's the police who have been escalating use of force for against peaceful protesters. It, it doesn't make sense, but that, again... Where are the, the supervisors standing right there? And they're letting the police officers right. do this. The, that, right. that's, that's, that makes right. no sense. And using pepper spray against right. your own population or tear gas right. against your civilians. Um, they did that in Aurora, Aurora. Again, go back to Aurora, Colorado. 
they were holding a visual right. for Elijah and playing violins. And the police came because they thought Antifa was going to be there, which is an ideology. And that woman is now their police chief. It's that, that makes mm. no sense. Mm. Well, Kevin, uh, we're, we're just about out of time, you know, but I, I wanted to sort of give you a last and final thought, you know, how, how do we correct, you know, some of these issues that, that seem, you know, more often than not to always happen to African American people? Um, you know, we always say, well, you know, the laws need to be changed. The uh, police officers need to recognize this, but, but what, I mean, what can we take away from this conversation that we can do, I guess, as a culture to try to change these, these situations that, I mean, keep happening so often that they now become routine. It's not even shocking anymore. Right. I think one, uh, everybody needs to vote. You have to vote for mayors who are going to hire, Agreed. hire police chiefs who are going to implement uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion into the culture of policing. Unfortunately, right now, because of who the administration is nationally, you can't even teach mm -hmm. diversity, inclusion, and equity because they, he came out with an executive order against it. If you get any type of federal funding, he's going to you know, snatch your funding away. But I think if we get rid of Trump, that needs to happen. You need to vote for okay. you need to vote for mayors who are going to say we want you need to have diversity, equity, inclusion. You need to start going to city council meetings. You need to start uh, voting for people on uh, school boards who are going to Im implement a curriculum that teaches the history, the true history of this country, and not just American exceptionalism. We need to understand how we got to this point in time, and within police departments, even if you're not going to, if you can't, if you're not willing to teach diversity, equity, and inclusion. You need to teach case law on a regular basis at your roll call, 10 minutes, and just say, this is what you, this is what you can and can't do in these situations. And when you're doing use of force training on the, on firearms for firearms and for mm -hmm. all of your other mm -hmm. use of force training, you need to start holding your men accountable. You have to hold your men accountable and women accountable in all those situations. And then how you do that is you train them and you maintain your, your training and so that they don't have any excuses what's going on and you have to be honest all right have to be honest. i love it i love it and listen uh kevin I, I can't thank you enough you know for taking time out of your out of your very busy schedule um you know i i see you out here you're doing great things i know you're probably enjoying your retirement uh you know hopefully uh maybe i'll be able to invite you back on the show you know we have some other interesting you know topics and points people might want to hear your perspective from okay todd thank you all right, man. Well, listen, um, that's our show for today. Um, I want to thank you guys, you know, for, for tuning in, you know, Kevin, you know, is really truly one of the, one of the best use of force experts that we have out here. Um, I wanted to appreciate and thank him for the time that he's given us today. I know I want to also thank you. There's a lot of things that you could be doing, but you're right here with me. So I appreciate that. And I thank you very much. Have a good day. We have to go to the root. We have to go the condition itself is not enough and it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we are dealing in hate.